Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. It's great to be back here with family. And I consider it an honor every time I'm with you. We just came from uh, powerful revival meetings. And um, it's been a wonderful time that we've had at these services. We, we did a Friday night, a Saturday morning, and a Saturday night. And then we're doing now a Sunday morning. So that's two more services here. So I get to preach a total, Nathaniel, five times this weekend. It's, uh, I, nothing else I'd rather be doing. I love it. Well, in terms of ministry. Uh, but, you know, I, I do miss my aria and jazz, so, but, uh, but I'll, I'll see them tomorrow. And in the meantime, I'm here celebrating the goodness of God with you. And it is truly a honor, as I said, to be here. I want to thank Pastor Omar, Sister Letty there, um, I believe, ministering elsewhere. And so I know that uh, whenever I get to fill in or whenever I get to help out and serve, I, I, I consider it a joy. And I don't, I, I'm looking around here, to be honest with you, and I see a lot of new faces. Like, this is, this is, this is powerful stuff here. I'm looking around the room, and I, I see several, like, like, like you know, I, I see Pastor Isaac. I see Patricia, of course, my, was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, she, she was uh, very kind to us. We weren't always the, the most behaved, but... Uh, Anytime the parents asked, how were they? Oh, they were great. They were perfect. So thank you for that. I see Peter. And then, uh, and then I don't know anybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, I see faces. And then I see you guys are in. It looks like there has been an influx of people coming in. And that's, that's a good sign. It means that there is something that God is doing. Whenever God brings people in like that, it's because something is stirring. And I understand you also are somewhat in a spiritual stride. There has been prayer and fasting going on. And so I can sense the expectation in the room. And I'm thankful to be with several believers who are honoring the presence of the Holy Spirit the way they are. And so welcome also to those of you online. Which one is main, guys, on camera? Just wave at me if you're the main camera. I'm talking to you, camera people. Okay, that's you? All right. So welcome to those of you online as well. I want to minister this morning on how to be a bold witness for Christ. Three keys to bold evangelism. You know, when it comes to the sharing of the gospel, I think that many times we can become intimidated because we feel like we're not qualified to share the truths of God's word. And the reality is, that, just a public service announcement. Make sure your phones are silenced. The reality is that what you've experienced with the Lord, your encounter with Him, what He's done in your life, the way He's transformed you, that is your testimony. That is your declaration of the gospel. You don't just witness, you become a witness, the scripture says. The Bible declares in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon, me, upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Your life is the light that draws people to the gospel. The miracle that you are is a testimony to those around you that God still saves. 
God still delivers. God still heals. God still restores. And so while we can be intimidated to share because we don't have all of the theological answers, it's important to know that even though you're not able to necessarily address all of the theological questions and intellectual concerns and philosophical opposition that people might raise to the gospel message, just by you burning for Jesus, set on fire by the Holy Spirit, you become an effective witness. The lives of those around you can be impacted simply because you yourself are connected with the Lord. What God has done in you was not meant to stay in you. What God has done for you was not meant to stop with you. The gospel message is for all people everywhere, all nations, all cultures, all generations. And the plan of the gospel message spreading across the world is based upon not just church members repeating a message or giving people invitations to churches, but the gospel message and the spreading of that message is based upon disciples who will multiply through the sharing of their faith. Now you may say, I'm not qualified to do something like that. I don't know how to answer all of their questions. I don't know what it means to, to really communicate the gospel. Well, you have to start somewhere. You have to begin to share the truth. And as you begin to share the truth, you will find that the Holy Spirit himself will give you the words to speak. You may not have all the answers, but you only need one answer. You may not know all of the truths that people may want to talk about, but you do know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So I want to give you three biblical keys now to emboldening your witness. To strengthening the communication of the gospel message through you. Number one, live righteously. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now notice here that the scripture tells us that those who live in wickedness are rather paranoid. In other words, they're running away from someone who isn't even chasing them. They're worried about problems that aren't even problems. Wickedness produces cowardice. Wickedness produces intimidation. Now that doesn't mean that all intimidation is born of sin, but it does mean that sin can cause intimidation. Sin can cause fear. Sin can diminish the boldness that God wants to place on your life when witnessing. But the Bible says that conversely, the righteous are bold as a lion. If you are lacking in boldness, my question to you is, are you lacking in righteousness? Are there areas of compromise in your own life and in your own heart? Is there compromise in your motives? Is there compromise in your mind? Is there compromise in the secret place? Is there compromise in the way you live your life? Do you live your life as an act here on Sunday only to go and be a completely different person Monday through Saturday? You know what Jesus called hypocrites, right? What that word means, it literally means actors. 
Some people, their Sunday morning church, whoever you want to call it, their avatar, it's a character they play. Performance they give. They're playing the role of the good Christian and the church fellowship and gathering is their stage. They go and give their performance and then they're exhausted by being around the church people because they were putting on a performance. If you're exhausted by it, it could mean that it's not even really you. Because you're having to keep the facade up. Now this isn't a message of condemnation. This is one of challenge because we know 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So He is consistently forgiving our wrongdoing if we are constantly repenting and striving toward living in the holiness that He's purchased for us. And so we come to this place now where we have to acknowledge that compromise does indeed weaken my evangelism. Not only does it weaken your boldness to evangelize, but it also diminishes your witness. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He said, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, there's something about your life that's supposed to demonstrate what you say you believe. You want to be an effective witness, show the character of Christ to those who are receiving the gospel message from the words that you share. What good does it do to share the message but not live the message? To share a truth and live opposite that truth. To communicate that God saves, but then have your life say, I have not been saved. To communicate God delivers and then go live in bondage. Living righteously is the foundation of bold evangelism. When you walk with God as you ought to, there's something that comes upon your life. There's a fire in you that just burns brightly. And it's not something you'll have to manufacture. It's not something that you'll have to pretend that you have. You won't have to pretend to be spiritual. I've seen people pretend to be spiritual. They think if they talk a certain way, act a certain way, quote a certain amount of scriptures, they'll be perceived as spiritual. Maybe some people do perceive you as spiritual. But when you live righteously, it's not something you have to pretend to be. And that, that truth that dominates your everyday life, that integrity that you demonstrate before God, that becomes the catalyst for bold evangelism in your life. Because when you share the gospel message, you'll know God is with you. You'll know you're walking in his will. You'll know that your life backs the message that you're declaring. It's better to live the gospel while only knowing a few scriptures and still learning, of course, than to know scripture after scripture after scripture and be a hypocrite. It's better to live the truths that you do know than to know many and live none of them. So start there.
Look for the places of compromise. Look for the places of doubt. Look for the places where there are weak points. Don't be condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's what the scripture says. There's no condemnation, but there is correction. And so we take these truths and say, okay, these are areas I can improve in. These are areas I can ask the Lord to help me work on and he'll give you grace and he'll work with you and you can move forward. But you have to address these issues first. Number two. So number one is live righteously. Number two is you need to focus on others. Matthew chapter nine, verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here we see the compassion of the Lord. Whenever he would look at the crowds of people, his compassion would move his heart. In fact, in many instances, we see that his compassion is what moved him to begin healing people. When you look at people, do you see souls? When you look at crowds, do you see souls? You know, when you come near to the Lord and the presence of the Holy Spirit envelops your life, when you begin to walk so closely with him that you start to love what he loves and hate what he hates, that his dislikes become your dislikes, what gives him pleasure gives you pleasure. When you begin to see things from God's perspective, not culture, not the opinions of man, but when you begin to shift your perspective to see from the way God sees, when you walk near to the Holy Spirit, there's something that begins to happen in you that you cannot help. There's something that begins to transform in you that you couldn't cause outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you begin to walk closely with God in this way, you begin to develop a burden for those who don't yet know Christ. That's the hallmark of those who have been in his presence. One missionary put it rather forward, forwardly. He said, if you don't care if others meet Christ, I doubt you've ever met him yourself. When you walk close to the Lord, your heart begins to burn for the lost. You begin to think about their eternity. You begin to think about how they need deliverance. When God called Moses, the Lord said to him, I have heard the cries of my people. You see, it was the compassion of the Lord that caused the Lord to raise Moses that he might be a deliverer to a people so that they would experience freedom from the bondage of slavery. The children of Israel in bondage to Egypt, 
is a prophetic picture of a people in bondage to sin. We look at the world and we have to recognize that those who don't know Christ are bound. They don't even know it, most of them. They're in deep darkness. Jesus talked about deep darkness and those who are unaware of the fact that they're in darkness. That's not a statement of hate. That's not a statement of anger. It's a statement of truth. If you don't know Jesus, you're bound. You're in bondage. You're a prisoner of the kingdom of darkness. There are only two kingdoms. The Bible is quite clear on this. There are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And the only way to be translated, the scripture says, into the kingdom of light is through God's son. That's it. Jesus made it clear there's no other way to the Father than through him. So whatever you may think about how enlightened you are, whatever you might think about how connected you are to the universe and how you're manifesting things and how you have great power of the mind and whatever you might think about your philosophies and however you might try to push away the reality of God from your mind and pretend that you're an atheist. Whatever it may be that you're doing, the reality is that if you don't know Christ, you're in bondage. People say that's rather closed-minded. Well, think about the fact that the nature of truth is that only one thing can be true. Well, several things can be true, but they'll never contradict one another. And Jesus saying he is the only way is either true or it isn't. And so when you come to this knowledge, you walk near to God, you begin to see your eyes are open now. And you begin to look at those who are still bound and your heart is moved for them. You're, you're, there, there are these stirrings in the spirit where you want them to know the goodness of God. You want them to know Christ. You can hear the cry of the lost. And, and, and you're, you're, you, you, you move from this place of being angry at them and, 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 and wishing them harm because some people, they get stuck in that, that Pharisee mindset, you know. Religious mindset, us against them. Well, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The real enemy is the kingdom of darkness. The real enemy is sin. Everyone else is just a prisoner though they may not know it. And so it's not this hate-filled approach where you're screaming and yelling at them, and it's okay to scream and yell. I love a good street preacher. There's legitimacy to street preachers. Sometimes people need to get screamed and yelled at and told about hell. I remember one instance, I was preaching with a gentleman who, well, he passed away recently, uh, Brother Jed Smock. And he took me open-air preaching. People criticize street preachers. I don't know why. We need everyone from, from the soft-spoken TV preacher to the street preacher. God uses them all, okay, as long as they're declaring Christ. And so I remember I was with Brother Jed, and he, I, I was 16 years old, and he would put me out in front of these college students and just have me preach. 
I remember for the first few times, I was destroyed by these college students who would just ask me questions. I had no answers. And he wouldn't jump in. He would just watch. (laughs) You know what it forced me to do? Go and study more. Go and read the word more. But I remember in one instance, he was telling me that there was this particular Christian who came up to him while he's preaching. And you know, Brother Jed, he's preaching fire, brimstone, hell. Those are realities of scripture. I don't know why Christians get offended by that. And, and so this, and by, I think I do, the reason people are offended by the idea of hell is because they're not offended enough by the idea of sin. But that's another sermon. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm there with him, and he, he's preaching, and he's telling me about how this, 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 this Christian comes up while he's preaching on hell. And this Christian gets up, you know, real self-righteous, a virtue-signaling Christian, comes up, throws their hands in the air dramatically. Listen, everyone. I want you to know that what this man is saying is unloving. God loves you. He's preaching about hell and sin. I want you to know that not all Christians are like this, just real proud of themselves, you know, condemning Brother Jed for talking the way he did. I don't preach necessarily that harsh, but I'm not going to condemn another preacher for doing what God told him to do. And so this atheist speaks up. He says, you know, I've been on this campus for a couple of years with you now. I've seen you. Not once have you ever told me what this man is telling me. He said, either you don't really care about me or you don't really believe what you say you believe. Leave it to the atheist to put that virtue signaling Christian in their place. But the point is, God uses all different personalities. There's some who are going to come across a little rough. These are the guys with the signs. Watch your friendly fire. There's no need to condemn people like that. We need the street preacher. And some preachers are going to be a little more soft-spoken, talk maybe more emphasis on the grace of God. You know, we're so quick to, well, they're compromising. Well, no, they're just not doing it the way you would. But it's the same message. And all of these expressions of evangelism demonstrate, A, that God can use anyone, but B, that this we have in common. Love for the lost. When you begin to draw close to the Lord, that compassion begins to drive you forward in your evangelism. You want bold evangelism? Start focusing on others. You'll soon forget about yourself. When your love for souls outweighs your need to be liked, boldness will abound. The problem is that so many of us lack boldness because we're so concerned with how we might look. We're so concerned with how we might be perceived by others, how we might not be accepted culturally, that we neglect the gospel message. My friend, if you saw a child playing in the street and traffic coming, you would not say, well, let me see. Let me make sure I do this correctly. I don't want to offend them. Let me see. I just... Hey, 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 kid, listen, I know you're playing, and boom, done. 
You see a kid playing in the street and traffic coming, you're going to get out there and you're going to be screaming your head off like a crazy person. I'm not saying that's how you have to evangelize. But the point is, the urgency outweighs your self-awareness. To where you're, you're so focused on the soul, you forget about self. The reason people are so focused, how do I look? How do I sound? What will I be perceived as? Is because they're not even really thinking about the soul. So when we shift our focus from self to souls, we see boldness begin to rise. So number one, live righteously. Number two, focus on others. And finally, number three, surrender to the Holy Spirit through prayer. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 says this. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then... They preached the word of God with boldness. Now, there in Acts chapter 4, we see the body of Christ gathered together. This, by the way, is the very same group of believers who were there in Acts chapter 2 when the power of the Holy Spirit fell. Yet, even they needed a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit's power. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says... Be not drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That phrase, be filled, in the original language implies a continuation. Not a one-time encounter, but also a way of living. When, when the scripture describes be filled in that particular verse, don't think of filling a cup with water. Think of how wind might fill a sail. It's continual, it's ongoing, it's constantly moving. That's the infilling of the Spirit, that breath of God on your life, a continual encounter with Him. But you will not have this if you neglect prayer. When you go a day without prayer, you're pointing your finger in the Holy Spirit's face and you're saying, I don't need you today. When you go a week without prayer, you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I can do without you this week. When you live a life without prayer, you're saying, God, I can live in my own strength. I can do it in my own ability. Prayer is the act of depending upon God. The proof that you believe in prayer is that you pray. The proof that you believe in prayer is that you pray. And so many of us, we start with, and we can start with, just speaking to Him in the morning. And that's a good place to start, but don't end it there. You know, some mornings you'll wake up, speak to the Lord. Lord, I thank you for today. It can be as simple as just thanking Him. As just acknowledging His presence. As just letting, you, letting Him know that you love Him. Asking Him to be with you. That's a great place to start. But you know, Jesus would often withdraw for hours at a time just to be alone in prayer. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that you have to pray for hours a day because the Scripture tells us that God understands that we're only dust. 
He can sympathize with our weaknesses and our responsibilities. He knows that you have to work. He knows that you have to sleep. He knows that you have to eat. He knows that you have to fellowship. He knows that you have a marriage. He knows that you have kids. And you know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E, time. He understands these things. So this isn't a matter of legalism and saying, well, I have to pray a certain amount and I have to reach a certain mark. No. It's simply daily contact with the Lord and walking in a continual awareness of His presence that's abiding near to you. That's all it takes. I think we complicate it. We complicate it, and because we complicate it, we become frustrated with it. Because we try to systemize the spiritual, and we try to add to it a list of things that we have to accomplish in prayer, a list of things we have to say. Prayer is not a script. It's a conversation. Prayer is not, is not a list of things to say. It's communion with God. Fellowship. Just spending time with Him. Loving Him and knowing Him. That, daily, is what adds a great boldness to your witness. Why? Because prayer, contrary to popular belief, doesn't bring God any closer. And we have to stop seeing it that way. I know that might have shocked some of you, but hear me out here. Prayer doesn't bring you closer to God. How can that be if God lives within you? You see, when you think that prayer brings you closer to God, you view your prayer life on a performance basis. And you think that every time you pray, you climb up that ladder. And when you miss prayer on Tuesday, you go down a few rungs on the ladder. And that if you missed a month of prayer, that, oh, I got to now make up for that whole month I lost. My friend, it's not performance-based. When we pray, we are not praying to connect with God. We're praying from connection with God. You as a child of God are always connected. Prayer does one thing. Does several, but one thing for this point. Prayer makes you more aware of the presence that abides in your life. Prayer makes you more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit who never leaves you. Jesus said, I'll give you another and he will never leave you. The Holy Spirit faithfully abides. And when you pray consistently, your awareness of that presence produces boldness in your witness. Your awareness of his presence produces boldness in your witness. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.